1% Better is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Colts ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime is a new easy-to-use app that tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. Then it shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And you can buy with confidence because GameTime allows you to see the view from your seat before you purchase. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hi, Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. We are back. It is another episode of 1% Better, your favorite Colts podcast, I hope, I think. And it's it's been, what, it's this week seven now? We've got, uh, we've continually had interesting topics on Mondays to talk about. And uh, today's no different. The Colts, uh, they scored a... 30 to 23 victory over the Houston Texans. They're in first place, man. I yeah. didn't see it coming. Believe it. predicted it. But uh, this has been fun. And, and Zach, I want to ask you this. Let's start with this here. Uh, that was an impressive win. Uh, I think much more impressive than the score indicates. It was an impressive win for a lot of reasons. Uh, what, in your mind, or I should say, was this in your mind, uh, the most complete win of the season? Mm. I really liked the win in Kansas City. And I, I know mm-hmm. that's probably not as complete of a win because the offense didn't really punch it in the end zone as much. But you can stack them both on top of each other because those are the past two times the Colts have hit the field and they've got two of the best wins. You know, they got, you know, two of the best wins stacked on top of each other of anyone in this league right now, especially anyone in the AFC. Um, they're four and two. If the playoffs started today, they're hosting a playoff game, they're division champions. We got a long way to go, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But don't you think that we've sort of seen enough from this team this year to know what these guys are about? Don't you think this is not an aberration? This is not just a fluky seven weeks where Jacoby Brissett's playing above his head. Don't you think this is just about what they're going to be this season? Which I think is a really tough out, a tough team to defeat, a team that doesn't really beat itself. They force you into a lot of penalties. They don't commit a lot of penalties. They take what they'll give you from an offensive perspective, and they've got playmakers on defense, and they made some plays yesterday when they needed to. I think we've seen enough from the Indianapolis Colts in 2019 to to say they're a pretty damn good team. I would agree with that, and I think that we have seen flash-in-the-pan teams before in this league, right? We see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think they have sort of some characteristics that, that are obvious. A lot of times it's maybe one particular unit of a team uh, a defense, say, gets really hot, but maybe they haven't played anybody, you know, like a big-time yeah. quarterback or something, and and maybe it's an aberration or it's a it's a mirage, I should say. And and then there's other instances where, like, there's one player, a quarterback perhaps, who just, like, goes crazy. And is that sustainable? You know, that kind of thing. Are they too reliant on one player? That conversation's been had around here before, right? But um, yes. I think this is none of those things. This is a team that... In my opinion, no two wins have been the same. Yeah. <laughs> you should really think about it. Yeah. Like, and every game come down win, to the buzzer, too. Yeah. Yesterday's win was nothing like the previous win, which was also an, an amazing victory in Kansas City. That was a totally different blueprint. And then you have, I think if you go back to the win in Tennessee, for example, that to me was a, a defensive performance where 
they just basically had their way defensively against Tennessee. Uh, the Atlanta win was it was a little bit like yesterday's, but they yeah. kind of survived it. You know, they gave up more plays. Uh, so I I really think this team they've proven they can do it in many different fashions, and they can do whatever needs to be done. And 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 the the reason the the case I guess you make for this being the most complete win. And even if it's not, it doesn't matter. But I think it was a unique win for this reason because they did it with every facet, okay, offensively, defensively, special teams, uh, getting the ball uh, down to the four-yard line, Rigo Sanchez's punt after the the offense stalls there and and actually things got a little skittish there for a little bit. Well, he pins him back at the four-yard line. It's like, all right, guys, let's see what you got. Go 96 yards now. And that's what it takes. You know, it really does take all three phases. It takes all 53 men. We say this all the time. It's cliche. It's coach speak. But they're living it right now. They really are. And and that's how they're winning. And that's what makes them not the flash in the pan, I feel like. Let's compare Uh, the last two victories because they've been polar opposites in the manner hmm. in which they've gone out and won these games. In Kansas City, they ran it down the Chiefs' throat. And the Chiefs couldn't stop them, so they just kept running it. And then, you know, which I thought was interesting was in this past week, you asked Frank Reich, like, one, is this sustainable to just be such a heavy run team in today's NFL where the spread has taken over and, and quarterbacks have gone crazy? And he's like, look, if we have to throw it 60 times to win, we will. And he, he sounded like he was confident that was going to happen. I think 60 is a little high, but Frank's point in your story that you laid out was like, look, if we have to throw it to beat teams, we will. Houston's credit, they shut down the run yesterday in a way a lot of teams haven't been able to shut down the Colts on the ground. So Jacoby Brissett threw threw for 320 and four touchdowns. They proved they can win through the air, which I thought was really telling because they're going to have to do that against some teams down the line. Um, And I think that that, these two wins back-to-back show you the Colts can win in different ways and they can finish on defense, which is what they struggled with a little bit earlier this season. Um, and you've seen every unit sort of step up in a way this season. The passing attack, the run game has carried them. The offensive line's been great. The defense has closed a couple games. That's how you win, and that's how they've held this together. And I think, you know, one thing that jumps out to me, and I'm anxious for your thoughts on this, you've covered the league for a long time. It's really something from my perspective to sit on Sundays and watch Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni attack the opposing defense in different ways every single week. You can tell that each game plan is very, very specific for the defense they're playing. And a lot of teams do that, right? Some teams don't. Some teams are like, we're just going to do what we do and we're going to let them react. The Colts are very, very specific to the defense they're playing. And a lot of times they have the edge. A lot of times he's a step or two or three ahead of them. And it's really impressive to watch. And, And Jack Doyle told me something that really jumped out to me yesterday. And this is on that topic, but it's also a bigger a bigger point he was making. Jack Doyle, by the way, is a great quote all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> hell has frozen over in that locker room. Um, but he said, look, credit our leaders, credit Frank, credit Jacoby for keeping this thing together. And together he means after August 24th when the franchise quarterback retired. He said they're rare, they're rare leaders. And Frank is the best coach I've ever been around in the way he puts confidence in his players. You saw that this week with Jacoby Brissett. You saw that this week with Eric Ebron, and you're seeing it every week. And that's something this has this team hasn't had in the past. And it's really, really, uh, it's really something to watch the last couple of months. Yeah. So you hit on something here. I want to I want to double back to real quick. And 
it's it's the the way they approach these offensive game plans and and I think no less than Houston coach Bill O'Brien told me last week when I talked to him on our conference call you know he said he said look they're a game plan offense and what that means the translation to that is yeah. look they are there's a different game plan every week and so yep. it's never the same so so they people know that that's their reputation now that this is not like people are trying to figure them out or or they're going to do this they're definitely doing that no, they they know. Uh oh, these guys could do anything. They could pull anything out of the out of the. They could run week. Quentin Nelson on a on an out route in the end zone. <laughs> they could throw the ball back to Zach Pascal, have him throw it thirty yards down the field. We saw that yesterday. Yeah, if Quentin Nelson ever scores a touchdown, uh, it's going to break the internet. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you now. Yeah, like, yeah. brace yourself. Uh, find another way of communication because it's gonna break the internet. But anyway, you know that who was giving him a hard time for that yesterday in the locker room was. Who's- Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle was laughing. He was saying, that's how, you know, these guys think it's easy to go out there and run routes because Quentin <laughs> fell over on his route. So there you go. I told Quentin that he didn't seem really happy with Jack after I relayed the message. <laughs> Is Quentin Nelson going to kill Jack Doyle? Like, oh, yeah, I should probably, I should probably get out of that one. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You may have, you may have actually started a civil war there that, that you can't turn off. But anyhow, uh, hopefully Quentin gets over it because that wouldn't be pretty. So, here, here's getting back to my point about you know, the game plan offense. Here, here's the thing. Something that Frank Reich said yesterday was very interesting. You know, right after the game, he said, look, they played man-to-man all day. And, and then Jacoby yes, good point. Said, later on, said later on, he says, when, when they play man-to-man, the quarterback has to beat it. And obviously, the receivers have to beat it too. But really, the quarterback has to make throws because there's going to be tight coverage. And you've got to fit the ball in there. And so what happened in this game was – a couple of things. Number one, they schemed their receivers open. Like, they were wide open all day. It was just Crossing embarrassing. Routes. Yeah. And then the other thing is, when you play the, when you play the sort of defensive approach the Texans used yesterday, Romeo Cornell was like, you are not running the ball on us. And so, what do they do? You load up the box. Seven guys, occasionally eight, whatever it is. There's a cost to that. Okay? The cost is... You can't play a lot of zone and drop a bunch of guys in coverage because you're committing to the run. That takes more men. Yeah. So you can't drop seven guys in coverage if you're trying to stop the run. You got you can maybe drop five, but guess what? I mean, when you've got a when you've got receivers who can run good routes, they're gonna beat those guys. And that's yeah. what happened yesterday. So so now you really, really have a conundrum if you're if you're a, an opposing defensive coordinator going up against this team because you're like, all right. Well, I could take Marlon Mack out of the game, and they did. I mean, the guy had 44 yards, you know, just basically his most unproductive game to date. But then at the other end of the spectrum, it's like, all right, but then what if we give up? What what if we commit to stopping Marlon Mack, and then I got one-on-ones with T.Y. Hilton? Then what do I do? So This speaks to exactly what we were talking about a minute ago. This is what they haven't had multiple weapons on offense for years, and now they have it. So you heard Romeo Cornell say earlier in this week, like, look, I saw way too much of Marlon Mack in the playoff game. Marlon Mm -hmm. Mack went for 148. It's very obvious he sold out to stop Marlon Mack. Oh, by the way, there's a guy who's been torching you for a decade in T.Y. Hilton. (laughs) So they rolled the safety to T.Y., which T.Y. expected. And so before the game, he went up to Zach Paschal and he said, look, they're going to roll the safety my way. You're going to be in single coverage. you got to step up and make those plays. And like you just mentioned, that's on Jacoby and Pascal. Pascal's got to win his matchup. Jacoby has to be really accurate, and they torched him. And Zach Pascal could not be stopped yesterday. And that speaks to the balance this team has. They can win with the run like they did in Kansas City. They can win with the pass. They can win with guys like Zach Pascal, who's 
in my book, wide receiver number two right now. And that speaks to Frank Reich and what he's built in his team. And it's it's almost hard to wonder what Andrew Luck would have done with these weapons if he would have had them his whole career. Yeah, it really, it really is interesting. So that gets to another point here, which is a good segue to where I was going next, which is this being – I talked about it and wrote about this being a, a really big team victory in the true sense of the word team. And, and so what I mean by that is there's a couple of ways that's applicable here. I talked about offense, defense, and special teams, right? So everybody had a part. But on top of that, it's also what you're talking about you know, with Zach Paschal and guys like that playing a role, playing their role. And doing it very, yeah. very efficiently because, look, it's fine that they have these these frontline players like T.Y. Hilton and you know Jack Doyle and Marlon Mack, but there are times when defenses are going to attack them. And yesterday was a good example of that. T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack attracted more attention than anybody else on the field, as you should. Okay. Yeah. And so then what? <laughs> okay, what's going to happen now? Are you going to have somebody else that can step in when your number two receiver, who is Devin Funches, hasn't played since week one? He's been hurt. Right. So that's where a guy like Zach Pascal comes in. And, I mean, we we know Zach Pascal to be a guy who throws blocks in the running game and returns kicks. Like, that's yeah. kind of been his dominant role. Uh, and he's fine doing that. Like, he's he's more than happy to do it. But they've asked more and more of him, I think, as this season has progressed. And... And that's where you find out about guys, right? Haven't you haven't you sensed that the guys are really happy for Zach Pascal? Yes. Like they, this is a guy. I mean, I know it's a little cliche, but just like team first, all that. But like, yeah. you know, I watched him last year after that game in New England, and you were there, and, and he had that drop that turned into an interception that turned into basically the game that that turned it into a route. And he was livid, man. He was he was just inconsolable in that locker room. And I asked him, he said, I am, I'm a better player than this. And at that point, they didn't have any other options. They were so hurt at wide receiver. But to see what he's done since and the 12 months since to elevate to number two receiver, he's a guy that will block with the best of them. He will play special teams. And he's a sneaky good route runner as well. Um, I mean, that touchdown, the first touchdown he had yesterday, a lot of guys get that down to the two or the one, but they don't make that jump to get in the end zone. Yeah, He did that. Um, and you know, it's, it's a heck of a compliment when a guy like Jack Doyle is coming up to you every week and saying, I was you four years ago. You look, you know, you're just like me. You're just like me. I mean, Jack Doyle went from undrafted rookie special teams guy to pro bowl tight end. Um, that, that, that locker room loves them some Zach Pascal, And I can see why he's a, he's a guy you win with. He's a guy you win with. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what, look, I hesitate to give Eric Ebron too much credit because Eric Ebron, uh, tells you all about Eric Ebron every chance he gets. But right. here's, we don't here's need a, to do it. But here is a he's applicable here, though. Here's another example of what I mean when I say team football, because Eric Ebron has not eaten the way he did last season. And we knew this would happen. I'm not surprised. I fully expected this, especially after Andrew Luck retired. I thought things would change for Andrew, excuse me, for Eric Ebron. That was fully expected. And also, like, how do you score 14 – how do you top 14 touchdowns, first of all? okay, Right. So he's had a very different role. He's played fewer snaps, even even less snaps than he did last season at the times when Jack Doyle was out there. So his snaps are down to like 35 40% at times. So that's a huge adjustment for, for a guy who loves the, spot, the spotlight and loves to be out front and loves to get in the end zone. Now, in spite of all of that, he has – done a good job other than the Oakland game where that was just a rough performance for him but he bounced back 
Eric Ebron has done a great job of staying ready. And that is something that's hard to do when it's not coming your when it's not going your way and you're not getting the football and you're not uh, perhaps a a centerpiece in the game plan. How do you overcome all that and stay into it mentally and physically and be ready when your chance comes? And so what does he do? Nothing less than go out yesterday and make one of the most unbelievable catches you will ever see in the NFL. I I thought he had no chance. Just catching the football with one hand is hard enough. But then to do that and to also then uh, remain balanced enough to get his feet down, I mean, that was just a fabulous catch. He deserves all the credit in the world for that. That's a ridiculous play. I don't know how many guys in the league can do that kind of thing. But, um, you know, Eric Ebron was frustrated. He didn't hide that. I asked him yesterday if he needed that kind of game, and he said, I did. He had gone to Jacoby and Frank in the last couple of weeks and said, look, if you guys get me the ball early, I'm going to be good. If you get me involved early, I get going. So they did. He had that great hurdle early in the game that sort of, you yeah. know, it took a, a third down. He got the first down. Um, when he's a, when he's an involved part of the offense, this offense is really, really hard to stop. And you got to give Frank Reich a lot of credit. He was a guy who pushed for Eric Ebron. He helped him to a career of the year last year. And they kind of got through this rough patch early that I think a lot of people probably thought might happen where he wasn't either getting the ball enough or he was getting through a couple drops or whatever. But um, give Eric Ebron credit. He came through this. And and my goodness, that was a ridiculous catch he made in the end zone yesterday. Yeah, and I think that Frank Reich is smart enough you just hit on this. I think he's smart enough to to be perceptive about this. You know, with a guy like Eric Ebron, look, you got to treat every player differently. They all have different yeah. personalities, different mentality. I uh, guarantee it, you, Doyle's not going to coach before the game saying, "You need to get me the ball early." Like <laughs> that's never happened at right. any level for Jack Doyle. Right. But and on the other hand, though, you're right that that absolutely has never happened. However, that being said. Uh, he has a very defined role, and there, he knows the ball is going to come his way. And and I think there's yeah. a chemistry there with him and Jacoby. When he gets in trouble, he knows, all right, where's Jack? And and so that's Jack's role. It's always been his role. And and he makes the most of those plays, too. He turns those checkdowns into first downs many times. So that's that's really r- what his role has been and, and will continue to be. But I think with Ebron... Uh, because he is so much more like a receiver, it's much more of a rhythm with him and, and guys like that. You got to get them in rhythm. And so I think Frank is smart enough to know that, you know what, we're probably better when Eric Ebron's making plays uh, versus oh, when he's for not. Sure. And for sure. He's it, such a versatile a weapon in that passing game. Right. But you don't want to give the defense any opportunity to to not have to defend guys. And I think Eric Ebron is a guy who stresses your defense. And so it makes it only makes sense to have him involved and to, to make him uh, a presence on the field that the defense just has to respect. I just think it, it gives them a terrible matchup problem. And it's up to Eric Ebron to take advantage of those situations. But I just think he should be out there, not saying more, but, but he should be out there consistently so that they continue to have to stress the defense. So uh, tell me this. Let's talk about – let's change the subject a little bit to Jacoby Brissett because – uh, I think we both had uh, full confidence that he could play this way. The Colts certainly had confidence, but I still remained of the opinion. Man, like, he's okay, making them look smart. Yeah, but I, st- <laughs> but I still kind of held out a little bit like, okay, I need to see it week after week after week. And 
I'm not saying he's arrived. All I'm saying is I think this was a huge step in in blowing up the narrative that he can't the do game this. manager narrative. Yeah. I mean, I thought the best quote of the day yesterday was Justin Houston. He said he's not a game manager, he's a game changer. And I was like, Whoa, first of all, when did you start giving good quotes? But yeah. <laughs> but it's right. City game for the record. <laughs> yes, that's right. But yeah, so so tell me something. Like now, you'll see a lot of coverage nationally now. Or I'm already seeing some of it this morning. Like, man, this Jacoby Brissett, man, they're really onto something. And the yeah. Colts are probably sitting there shrugging, like, "Told you." So they they did. What'd you see? They did tell us. I yeah. saw I saw what I'd never seen from him before. And maybe the Atlanta game is is in the same vein. But um, Frank Reich told us they were going to win through the air when when they had to, and they did on Sunday. And Jacoby was fantastic yesterday. I will excuse the fumbled snap. That's inexcusable in a lot of ways. That you, you can't have that on your inside your twenty concentration but laps you, can't happen. Yeah, but I mean, let's look at this list right here. And I know this isn't everything, but league leaders in touchdowns right now: Mahomes, Wilson, Matt Ryan have fifteen. Jacoby Bissett has fourteen. Aaron Rodgers has thirteen. This is a guy that has fourteen touchdowns and three interceptions. His passer rating is above a hundred. I know passer rating isn't everything. He's not just playing winning football for the Colts. He's better than that. Um, and I really think this team is looking more and more complete every week. And and you look at what Frank Reich said. I mean, back on August 24th and August 27th and those first couple of days after Luck retired, Frank's like, we have all the faith in the world in Jacoby. Chris Ballard said he's, he's not going to flinch. He's not going to flinch. That's what you say in that position, whether you believe it or not, right? You don't say he's going to flip. You don't right. say he's going to flip. You don't say, that's well, why yeah, yeah, we're, we're kind of confident in him. We're not really confident in him, right? Yeah. I get that. They were right. And this guy's been fantastic. And you talk to the players in the locker room and they're like, look, we just rolled with him. You know, they had had him running the QB1 snaps the whole offseason. And I think that was an underrated thing here. They were used to him running the show. And this is a guy that's that's shown some feistiness. I mean, he got into a little verbal jousting match with Devin Funches in the offseason. I mean, I've said this all along and I'll say it again. He was never viewed as a backup in this city. And that was so central to his success here, at least early on, is, is they just they believed in him right away. It wasn't just he's keeping someone else's seat warm. But, man, I mean, the downfield throws yesterday, the accuracy, moving and then still hitting his targets – I mean, this was a guy that was throwing receivers open yesterday. It was um, – I, I didn't know Jacoby Brissett could play that well, and he proved me wrong yesterday. So my takeaway was a couple of things. Number one, I think that Brissett did a great job, I believe, of navigating the pressure from Houston because, listen, let's it's not It's one forget. of his underrated talents, yes. I think. Let's not forget who he's dealing with there, okay? J.J. Watt was feasting. Okay, a little bit over there against Braden he was, Smith. He lived in the backfield on the first drive. I think he had three quarterback hits on the first series. Right. Listen, there is no reason to hang one's head in shame uh, for getting your ass kicked by J.J. Watt, but he did get his yeah. ass kicked. Okay, so so that happened. Braden Smith, you know, he's going to have to look in the mirror a little bit. Uh, and, and others. He wasn't the only one. But my point is, so there's a consequence for that, right? If you get beat at the point of attack by J.J. Watt, well, J.J. Watt's going to, it's going to get to your quarterback. And so he did. Three-time defensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I get it, right? You you live, you, life goes on. It happens. But my point is, in the space of all of that, they sacked him once. <laughs> once. Yeah. And it, the reason for that wasn't because somebody bailed him out and got 
you know, some last minute block on, on the pass rusher. No, it's because Jacoby navigated the pressure. Uh, he stepped up in the pocket. He sidestepped the pressure. Uh, he, and then on top of that, what he didn't then just throw the ball out of bounds. He did at times, but there were also other times when he reset his feet and threw the ball. And yeah, and, and threw it accurately. That's the here's that a good is the quote. hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do, and and to yeah. also keep your eyes down the field, which is something he hasn't always done. I think sometimes the pressure has come, and he doesn't play scared because Jacoby is as tough a guy as you are going to find in the NFL. So it's not about getting hit. It's more about like, okay, trouble's coming. I got to get out of this trouble. And that's something and, he has worked. Intensely yes. with yep. with Marcus Brady, the quarterbacks coach. Yep. I, I was talking to Marcus Brady a couple weeks ago, and he said, "Look, there's sometimes his eyes will veer when the pressure comes, and that leads to bad throws, errant throws." And you saw it yesterday. That's a really good point. And this is something JJ Watt said. And JJ Watt doesn't say that about every quarterback. He said every time Jacoby gets hit, he pops back up and he keeps playing. Like I said, I respect that toughness and I respect the way he plays. I'll give him all the credit for that. That says something. And J.J. Watt lived in the backfield yesterday, and Jacoby still got the best of the Texans' defense because of exactly what you're talking about. Right. So I think in, some of that had to do with the fact that he had guys running open, and he didn't want to waste that. And I, I give him credit for that because a lot of times those are wasted opportunities if the pressure comes and maybe you don't hang in there and and try to get the ball to your guy. Maybe you throw it away instead just to be safe, right? You can always make the safe play. Uh, but the hardest, the harder thing to do is to make the difficult play, but make it in a in a fashion where you're not taking big risk. And I think he did that. So I give him tons of credit. Uh, I think he he understands what the he understands situations. He understands uh, what he can get away with. He understands his limitations. He's just you know he gets it. And and I just think he's really progressing. The other thing is uh, you're going to start to see. Uh, I think defenses have to have to respond to what Jacoby can present and some of the issues that that will will come from him having this kind of success. And, and I'm very interested to see uh, how they continue to navigate that. It'd be very interesting. Um, is is he a guy now that you know? What, especially when the Colts get all their receivers back, Devin Funchess will be back in a few weeks. Uh, Paris Campbell's getting healthier. They'll have him back soon, and he. It brings a yeah. whole set of problems. You know, now do they start having to to make a choice and say, well, hey, we can't l- just let this guy throw the ball down the field all day on us. And now do they, you know, do the defenses now defend them differently because of that? And so, when, you know, when you establish certain things about your, your offense, defenses act accordingly. So they have all the cards here. They they really have a versatility that I've never seen from this team on offense. I it's been said a million times, but I'll say it again. It is really remarkable how fortunate this team should feel to have Frank Reich as the head coach, especially after what happened with the Josh McDaniels thing. It's funny how things play out. I remember Chris Ballard saying, how could I be so stupid? How could I be so stupid while he was interviewing Frank Reich that day in February after McDaniels backed out? He didn't have Frank Reich on his list of five candidates he wanted to interview. And look at where we are now. I mean, I don't know how many guys in this league, I don't know how many coaches would have been able to handle this transition, not just from the start where you're the second choice as head coach, but your star quarterback retires 15 days before the season opener and you just kind of roll with the backup to four and two in first place in the division towards the end of October. It's a pretty remarkable story. And you and I always say, 
you don't want to cover boring. You want to cover something interesting. We are covering something interesting right now. This is a fascinating team. It's pretty remarkable what they've done so far. And if you look at their next four, they don't play a winning team in that stretch. You're very, very realistically thinking seven and three, maybe eight and two. I mean, am yeah. I getting ahead of myself? No, I mean that. Listen, here's the thing. All right, they've got let's let's break it down. They've got Denver next week. They go to Pittsburgh. They come home against Miami and Jacksonville, and I believe after that they go down to Houston. So we'll deal with that later. You better but, not lose two of those. No, just like flat out. I, I mean, Denver looked awful Thursday night. I don't Jacksonville. think that's acceptable. It's not. I know, and, I know what that sounds like. It sounds <laughs> ridiculous. Like, we're, not, we're making demands of the Colts. Like, what the hell? But, like, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, so what do they do? What do you think? Is it 3-1? and one? Can they go 4-0? Oh? I, I mean, what's – I mean, am I crazy? Well, they need to take it um, – Just get 1% better the, the every game day. That's con- the game that's hard <laughs> to predict is Pittsburgh. I don't know what their quarterback situation is like. That's yeah. a place the Colts have gone and gotten throttled the last couple of years. The I don't biggest know difference is Roethlisberger isn't there. You've covered those games. I mean, they've been – you could just use the same story each time. You know what I mean? I think we saw a lot Roethlisberger set – anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think Roethlisberger set like a Steelers franchise record for most yards in one of those. Um, no Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, no Ben Roethlisberger. Go win the game in Pittsburgh. Um, you've just got wait, the winless go Dolphins. On, uh, this is yeah. because you gave me the opening here. I just have to take it. Like So the enduring image of those games in Pittsburgh for me is Antonio Brown sliding down the goalpost on the touchdown celebration. Like a what about game. Andrew throwing it from his ass in the end zone? Remember that? <laughs> no, and that's not an exaggeration. That literally happened. <laughs> he got it was a off. weird play. Shocking. Yeah. But anyhow, sorry, yeah. continue. You're talking about Miami. No, yeah. it's just – it's just. I mean, they don't want to look ahead because that's not their stick. I get that. We can do it, That's though, why we're, we're not playing the games. And it's hard for me to see them losing to Jackson, Jacksonville. It's hard for me to see them losing to Denver next week at home. Um, you go to Pittsburgh. Let's say you win that one. You cannot lose to Miami. I mean, they're literally trying to lose games. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, by the end of November, you might have a conversation where the Colts are – one of the better teams in the AFC, and and maybe, I mean, very very much in the playoff picture. Let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but um, they've set themselves up really nicely. I'll be honest; I, the the KC win really changed things for me. So you know, we we never know when the season begins. We we spend all this time in in April and May talking about the schedule and how it's laid out and what it looks like, and and we're so stupid. We, we all, not we, but not you and I, but all of us in the media, we do this all the time, and the same stupid thing always happens. The schedule ends up being completely different than we anticipated, right? So, Every year. So here we are, and this is a great example of that, all right? The the season started off with, I think going to L.A. was always tough. I don't care how bad the Chargers are, and they, they look like a bad team right now, but going out Talk to L.A. Talk about disappointing. Yeah, going out to L.A. wasn't, wasn't going to be uh, an easy game for your opener. It's a West Coast trip and all that, but uh, then I think, you know, look, we always give them an edge in playing Tennessee because they've had just a run of success there, but then, look, we didn't know that uh, that Oakland was going to be a competent football team, despite what they did yesterday. Uh, we we thought that Atlanta might be a tougher opponent. It turns out Atlanta is terrible. So my point is, you never know what the schedule is going to be. Now it's starting to come into focus, and we start to see. You know what? They have a very manageable schedule. <laughs> That's the bottom line here. They have a very Go very manageable schedule. 
and yeah. it's worked in their favor. It sets up pretty nicely. The back end is tougher. I obviously uh, having to go to New Orleans, uh, having yeah. Carolina come here. And, a lot of that on the road in December. Yeah, but they also it's also offset by look, you know, a game at Tampa and and uh, they go to Jacksonville, which is somewhere they struggled. But but it's it's not a it's not a game that. The, that the Jaguars should be favored, frankly. I mean, the Colts should be favored in that game. So so it's there for them. And this is where we'll find out. Uh, I want to touch on something or continue a point that you made a minute ago. You talked about Frank Reich. Uh, there are, I think, a lot of impressive coaching jobs playing out right now across the NFL. Uh, I look at what Sean Payton's doing without Drew Brees. He deserves yeah. all the credit in the world. Ron Rivera's done a great job. Yeah. I mean, Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, uh, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh, excuse me, is yeah. doing a great job, I believe. In, Matt LaFleur and Matt yeah, LaFleur. Green Bay is killing people. Now, why isn't Frank Reich in that conversation? I mean, shouldn't he be? Yes. Yes, without a doubt. And I think people will, will, will get onto the bandwagon the next month. Um, I don't think people are watching the Colts play, to be honest. They're not. You know, this is this is the Colts are under the radar right now, and they like that. Uh, it's not going to be that way in a month. I guarantee it. If they go this stretch three and one or four and zero, oh, and they're they're right up there in the AFC picture, um, which I expect them to be, people are going to start to realize how good Frank Reich was. 2018 was not an aberration, and it was not because of Andrew Luck. It was because of Frank Reich. Now Luck played great, but we're seeing Jacoby Brissett do the same kind of thing. If you look at the numbers, Jacoby Brissett's having a better statistical season. That's not completely fair. Luck was playing with a banged-up offensive line early. They were throwing 59 times a game. I'm willing to throw that out. The point is Frank Reich has done a remarkable job, and I don't mean this season. I don't mean last season. I mean since the day he got here all the way through right now. I think he should be in the Coach of the Year conversation. There's some really, really strong candidates out there through seven games. I get that. Um, But this is a team – I've said this before, but – a lot of franchises would have just completely fallen apart after this happened in late August. If their franchise quarterback out of nowhere retires, they're thinking four and 12, six and 10. They just don't know how to respond, not just on the field, but emotionally. And the Colts just rolled with it. And it's really hard to do, but we witnessed it up close, right? We saw that press conference from Frank Reich two days later. And here we are, four and two. I didn't expect them to be four and two. I thought they would handle it well, but the way they're winning right now speaks to how good this team is. It speaks to the roster Chris Ballard and his staff has built. It speaks to how well Frank Wright gets his guys ready for every game, specifically against that opponent. And you got to give Jacoby Brissett, which you said a minute ago, a ton of credit because he has handled this better than a lot of backups would have. So on a semi-related note, I think it's interesting to sort of kick around this idea. All right. What the AFC picture right now is very interesting. And I don't mean in terms of like where who's seated where. I mean, you know, they only played seven games, so I'm not getting yeah. into that. But in terms of just where the teams stack up, I think the Colts, man, it, it they're pretty close to the to the top of top the upper end of that the, the conference right now. Certainly the Patriots are the class of the conference. And they play yeah. the night, I think. Uh, the, they play the Jets. That's another win for them. Yeah, they, I mean, they've had look, they've had a fortuitous schedule, but I'm not going to take it away from them. They're the class of the AFC. They're the team to beat. Here's my question to you. But don't you kind of wish the Colts were playing the Patriots this year? Yes, not because, not not because I'm sort of a fan or something, but more so because you know I'm not one of those like I hate the Patriots people. Like I I respect the hell out of the Patriots. It's more a matter of 
I want to see how they measure up. Yeah, I think they can measure up in a way they haven't been able to in quite a, quite some time. Last year wasn't really a fair fight. The Colts were playing with 45 guys or something. No yeah. Darius Leonard, no receivers. This year they might have the physicality and the sort of toughness moxie to hang with New England. At, at Lucas Oil, at Gillette Stadium, I don't care. I just think as a fan of football, that would be a really fascinating game. Maybe we'll get to see it in the playoffs. But without a doubt, the Patriots, they're really, really good right now. Yeah. So, all right. So, let's let's go ahead and just not – we're not even debating the Patriots. I think the Ravens on – by virtue of that win yesterday, I just – I yeah. have a healthy respect for the Ravens right now going out to Seattle and getting a huge yeah. win, basically walking yeah. in there doing whatever they wanted. That, to me, is yeah. just unbelievable. And then – Heck and then of the, a job by John Harbaugh. Yeah. yeah. The guy is and, – and, by the way, Lamar Jackson, just like all the credit in the world. And then I think the question becomes, all right, now are, do you prefer the Colts or the Chiefs when you get past those two teams? Because really that's that's the next tier, I feel like. Uh, the, the Chiefs are going to go through a tough stretch here. They don't have their quarterback uh, for a few weeks, it looks like. And can they survive that? I don't know. And the Colts beat them with their quarterback yep. in their house. That's right. And, and I'm not saying the Chiefs aren't. A Super Bowl contender because they absolutely are with him at quarterback, but they've got some problems right now that are not related to Patrick Mahomes. We saw that when they played the Texans, and we saw that when the Colts went in there. They can't stop the run, and their defense is shaky. And you got to think the Colts are a much more balanced team, and the Texans are a much more balanced team than the Chiefs right now. At minimum, for the Chiefs, uh, what's at risk right now is well, not just their their division title hopes but also just even if they win the division home field is an issue for them uh, right now so you know that th- those are issues to be settled later but my point is you know for all of their invincibility that we thought earlier in the season uh, that has been shaken and I think they've been mortalized here uh, the last few weeks so so really I think the Colts in terms of most complete teams uh, there are much more complete teams than the Chiefs there is no question yeah. about that the Chiefs yeah. and I, are way too one-dimensional I'm not done with Houston yet, though. I think it's going to be a really, really tough game when the Colts go down there for Thursday night or in November. Um, Houston was just stupid yesterday with the way they committed all those penalties. The McKinney one on Ebron in the end zone was the epitome of that. Um, but I think Houston very much is going to be in the mix. I think Watson's too good. Hopkins is too good. Um, they need to clean some things up, and they've got some issues in the secondary right now. They're hurting. But um, I expect them to be very much in the picture again, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Colts and the Texans – see each other in the playoffs for a second straight year. Yeah, I think I, – I actually glad you pointed that out because I didn't mean to, like, overlook the Texans here. But, no, they're in the picture. And yeah, they could good. still they're win this division. Team. All right, let's yeah. not pretend. They could still win this division. They do have, a, I think, a bit of a harder schedule. But but they are right in the mix, and, and I, you cannot count them out. Now, uh, along those lines, <laughs> I think it's very interesting. We were talking about this after the game, you and I, about – this first of all, this is clearly an intense rivalry. This is there is no love lost in this rivalry. These teams don't like each other, and they respect each other though. I think which is which is really good. And, and I talked to Justin Houston about this. It's the first time he's played in this rivalry. And I said, "Could you tell?" He's like, "Oh, he said you could tell during the week. You could tell during practice. Like it was different. It's like, man, we're playing the really? Texans. Yeah, he said he could tell. Well." 
There's another guy who has some words to say on that, and that would be T.Y. Hilton. He was That's rather was voice, <laughs> uh, rather honest yesterday after the game. What did you hear from T.Y.? So basically, uh, there was a question posed to him, not by me. It was kind of like, hey, you know, they, they tried to take you out of the game and make you less effective, and Zach Pascoe stepped up. So it wasn't it wasn't a shot at T.Y. It was more like, hey, they, how did Zach Pascoe play? The point is, though, T.Y. took great offense, and he was like, whoa, whoa, you think they limited me? <laughs> it was like, he's like, I had six catches for 74. But my point was, or his point was, uh, no, I had a couple of drops. They didn't limit me. I just didn't play well. And so T.Y. doesn't ever really get like that. He doesn't care. But, like, for this, in this particular instance, like, he was having none of it. He was like, don't you dare act like they limited me. <laughs> he was, like, yeah, he- offended. And he he loves like, the storyline that he he roasts the Texans every week. And to be honest, it's an accurate storyline. I don't know what the Texans can say, but every single time these guys play, he's he's making plays. Yeah, and so he said uh, his his follow up was amazing. He said, "I had two drops. Other than that, I played good. So if they play the same coverage again next time we play them, it's going to be trouble." <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, hey man, you know what? Who's going to argue with the man? All right, He's Jonathan still Joseph, clowning what do you them. got to say? Right. I mean, come on. Right. So right. It, it's going to be interesting. I, I do. All I, I guess my point that I was getting to, though, is that I really do love this rivalry. And it's good because, you know, it, there hasn't really been a, a huge rivalry uh, history of rivalries in this division. And that's kind of yeah. been sad. Right. And uh, I think this one, though, has taken center stage. It's the biggest rivalry in this division. It's and Peyton's it's fun. fault. He beat up the division so many years, and then Andrew Luck did the same thing. I mean, Andrew Luck never lost to the Titans in his entire career. Jacoby Brissett is now 3-0 against the Texans as well. But I think I'm totally on board with that. I've I've really enjoyed covering the Colts-Texans games the last couple years. They always seem to be entertaining. There's always a lot of big plays with Watson and Hopkins and Brissett and Mack and T.Y. Tons of storylines, and it's going to be a fun one down there in November in in a month. Or, you know, Jadavion Clowney blowing up Andrew Luck because Dwayne Allen couldn't block him. But anyway, not to not to talk yeah. about that. We're in a different place yeah. now. So but no, you're right. It has been full of huge plays, uh good events, bad events. I mean, remember Reggie Wayne going down there and tearing his ACL uh, back in yeah. two thousand thirteen. I mean, so it's just been yeah. all kinds of history in this rivalry and uh, memorable games for for good and bad reasons, and I, I think it's just a it's a good thing for football, and it's a good thing if you're a fan of the Colts or Texans uh, to to have this rivalry be so passionate. So, uh, for right now, though, the Colts have the upper hand, and uh, both in the rivalry and in the division. So, uh, we will see if that continues. Uh, so, I think right now, let's just see what happens. This one, you know, we talk about one percent better, or no, we don't, but. Frank Reich does, and I I think they've got it all out in front of them. It's up to them now, and this is where uh, it becomes a matter of, like, show me, don't tell me, and it's yeah. all there for them, so we will see. So we're going to wind this down here. Uh, Zach's going to take a little break for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll be back later in the week for our subscriber-only podcast, and we'll have a special guest there, so stay tuned for that. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you're subscribing to The Athletic. Uh, you're, if not, uh, I think you want to get on board with the best sports coverage on the internet. Uh, no ads, certainly. You get a great user experience that you won't get anywhere else. And you get coverage of every major team in every major sports league and some abroad as well if you're into the English Premier League. So uh, you're missing out. Lots of great deals available. 
get on board, subscribe, and you get it all. You get me, you get Zach, and uh, all of our great coverage on The Athletic. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the subscriber-only podcast, as I said, later in the week. And stay tuned for our uh, work to come on TheAthletic.com. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better.